Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. You should be excited. This is going to be a fun night. The Bible gets interesting in a few pla- lots of places, but this one's a little weird, okay? We're going to have fun with this. Before we dive into this, I thought that we should probably have a conversation about expectations, okay? Expectations. You ever spent some time thinking about expectations? It's kind of one of those things that we all have, we all deal with, we all go through that we don't take a whole lot of time to think about, right? When's the last time you set time aside in the morning after your devotions, say, I'm gonna ponder expectations. I'm gonna think about them, okay? It's probably been a while, I would assume, all right? It's just a thing that we all deal with, that we all go through, okay? We all have expectations. Some are spoken, some are unspoken, are they not, okay? Uh, Some are fair. Some expectations are fair, some are not fair. Some are not fair. If you're to ask me a definition of expectations, I would be tempted to tell you this. Definition of an expectation is that it is the mother of disappointment. Think about it. Where does all disappointment come from? Expectations, right? We thought something was going to be one way, but it ended up being another. I have a personal illustration with this. My wife, Ginger, and I, um, over the last couple years, we're saving for a big Disneyland trip, okay? We love Disneyland. We've been Disneyland fanatics for a large portion of our lives. And I always had this dream once we had kids and they grew up and they were old enough not to slow me down because I like Disneyland, um, that we'd all go together as a family and uh, we'd have this great time. So we start saving and saving and saving because it's very expensive. And we were going all out, okay? So this is why it took us some time because we were going to do the Disneyland Resort Hotel. We were going to do three days in the park and, and eat in the park and all that stuff, right? So we'd saved all this money and we planned this and this trip finally happened this past no- December. The interesting thing about that trip was that my dreams and expectations were through the roof because this was Disneyland, right? I love Disneyland, right? I just love it. Everything about it. So I built these dreams and I built these expectations. I was going with my favorite people. My kids were old enough. It was going to be this great time. And you know what my expectations failed to remember? Lines. Didn't remember those in the dreams and the stories. I didn't remember the fact that at 2 o'clock in the afternoon you're exhausted and you're only halfway done with the day because you have to walk everywhere and you're racing everyone to the different places because you want to get in line before them, or at least I am, and you're dragging your kids behind you. Dad, this isn't fun. My expectations didn't recall that my kids would probably fight. That was a downer. My expectations certainly didn't remember the actual prices of the meals that we'd be eating in Disneyland. Now, truth be told, this, this was an amazing trip. It had an, we had amazing memories, but my expectations were so high that frankly, there was no way that this trip was not going to disappoint me in some way or another. And this is how expectations work, right? We have an idea of the way things should be or the way they will be in our minds. And when it doesn't turn out that way, when our expectations are not met, at the very least we're disappointed and we can potentially get quite angry and frustrated. How many of you married couples just had one of your spouse nudge you, right? (laughs) That's us. 
The only thing worse than expectations are unspoken expectations. And we find those a lot in relationships and they're hard to deal with. Ladies, we say things like, well, he should just know to do the dishes. Well, he should just know that he should pursue me romantically today. He should just know exactly what I'm thinking. Those are our expectations, right? Guys, guys I'm, I mean, I'm joking, maybe. I don't know, I'm not really a lady. Guys, we have expectations too, and I meet with a lot of married couples and help them work through marital problems, and I've learned that generally speaking, gentlemen, our expectations tend to be more selfish than ladies. Their expectations are often hopeful that their husband will wake up and notice and do nice things, and our expectations are selfish. Either way, and I say this mostly jokingly, but either way, our expectations are powerful. And when our expectations are not met, it's difficult to avoid disappointment. Now, what about our expectations with God? What about those? Has God ever done something the complete opposite of what you expected him to do? And how did you process that? Was it difficult for you to understand? Was it disappointing? And how, how did you respond? And that is the perfect transition into Joshua chapter six. Today, please pull out your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter six if you can. We're gonna find God asking the people of Israel to do something that I do not think that a single solitary one of them could have dreamt or expected in their wildest imaginations. So if you were here last week, Tim got up here and he talked about a pretty interesting topic, right? Okay, Joshua chapter five, the rule, or the topic in Joshua chapter five, rather uncomfortably, was circumcision, okay? Circumcision. You see, the reality was, what we learned in Joshua chapter five is that Israel had crossed over the Jordan and they were basically invading this, this nation and all the people, all the nations, all the kings and kingdoms knew that they were coming and literally says in, in, in chapter five there that their hearts had melted and, without, and had no spirit left in them. And Tim talked about this, the timing was perfect to attack. They were ready, they'd been waiting for generations and all of the people were like melting, they were so afraid because they'd heard about what God has done. And then God brought out unexpected plan number one. Even though it seems like the perfect time to attack Israel, let's put that on hold. We're gonna have you circumcised so that everyone will know that you've been set apart for my purposes. Basically translating, Tim talked about that last week, instead of going to battle, we're gonna remove the foreskin on your member so that people will know you're my people. What? But as we learned last week, the people obeyed and Israel was doing what the generation before was unwilling to do in Moses' time. They were willing to trust God completely, no matter what. And what happened? They got circumcised. Now I thought right now would be a great time because I like emojis that I just insert how my mind would process this command from the Lord if I was one of the Israelites, okay? So we should have this up on the screen. I've got one missing. I don't know why it disappeared. So there's this, uh, and then the tear, and then there's there's supposed to be a vomit emoji right in between there, and then the, because hopefully I'd be asleep when it happened. I just thought you'd like to see how I thought I'd process with emojis. Just a little side note. I digress. 
But right now, as we approach Joshua 6, we've moved past the circumcision. We can see that Israel is now probably healed, right? So they were supposed to wait until they're healed. Why? Well, because they had surgery, okay? And you can't fight when you're like that, okay? So they're healed. And now that they're healing, I want you to join me in imagining how the Israel warriors are starting to get restless. They're going, okay, here we go. They're looking at their sword for the first time in a little while going, all right, I should pick that up and maybe it's just like this for a while and now maybe then they start moving their feet and they're starting to practice because the battle's about to happen, right? I imagine soldiers thinking, we've got to get ready, it's coming. And a new expectation would develop and it's this, surely now that we're healed and we can fight, God would set us free to capture Jericho, Right? There's their expectation. You would imagine this is a pretty simple expectation, right? We did what God said. The time is right. We got our swords. The people's hearts are still melted. Let's go get them. This is what God's going to want, right? And that leads us, rather ironically, to the question of the day. What do you do when God asks you to do something completely unexpected again? This is the question we're going to answer today as we look in Joshua chapter 6. What do you do when God asks you to do something completely unexpected? Expectations are crazy things. And what do you do when God comes in and asks you to do something out of left field? If you've never read the story, the story of the Battle of Jericho, Joshua chapter 6, we're going to start in verses 1 through 5. Read with me. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. Again, they're afraid. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all of the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every one straight before him. Now let's stop right there. Yeah, I'm not sure that that is exactly how General Joshua was expecting God was going to have them conquer Jericho. I'm not sure that as he was dreaming up his military plans that he thought, let's go on some marches for a week, just around, you know, with the Ark of the Covenant and some priests and some horns. This battle plan that Joshua was to use was quite unusual, ordinary weapons of war, things that we would expect to see, battering rams, scaling ladders, spears, swords, those types of things. We don't hear that in the plan. Rather, Joshua and his armed men are going to march around the city once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, they're going to do it seven times. They're going to blow some trumpets, and they're going to shout, and all of a sudden, the walls are going to come down. That is not a normal battle plan. Are you with me on this? You think, here's what we should do, and then God goes, no, we're going this way. We're going to do something different. Totally unexpected. First thing we need to realize here is that these trumpets, these ram's horns, these, this, the weirdness of what God is asking, in, battle time, in, in, in times of war in this day, you grabbed silver horns and those were war horns. Those were the appropriate horns if you're about to tax, attack someone. Ram's horns were largely jubilee horns. They were used to celebrate and worship and honor God. It was weird that God wanted them to use ram's horns. 
They're like, wait, you sure he said rams? That doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. These are like, yay, let's worship God horns, not, oh, we're coming to kill you horns. That does, that's not what we expected to do. Then there's a front, that now, not the horns, there's a front guard, so all of the warriors are supposed to be in the front, and then there's the seven priests, the seven ram's horns, the Ark of the Covenant in the middle, and then the rear guard. Now, all of those people are supposed to march around the city once a day for six days. One time, God. Are we trying to intimidate? I mean, because really just one march and we're going to bed? Like, that doesn't feel like war to me. And then on the seventh day, you do it all again, but this time you do it seven times, and then you blow the horns and shout. And you almost hear Joshua going, did I get that right, God? Were those the instructions? And God's like, yeah, Joshua. One of the commentators I was reading this week said this, no battle strategy appeared more unreasonable than this one. What was to prevent the army of Jericho from raining arrows and spears down on the defenseless Israelites pursuing their silent march? Or who could stop the enemy from rushing out of the city gates to break up Israel's lines, separating and then slaughtering them? You see, Joshua was an experienced military leader and certainly these and similar objections to the divine strategy that God had just given him flashed in his mind. This is weird. We're supposed to be going to war and now we're talking about marching and blowing religious trumpets one time a day. Expectations were not met here. Imagine that conversation with Joshua and his generals. Just bear with me on this one. You know, Joshua gets his instructions from the Lord as per usual, and then Joshua goes and tells the generals, and they're like, okay. So you imagine that conversation. So these guys are undoubtedly ready to fight. These are his leaders or whatever they are, generals, lieutenants. I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't there. But he starts by saying, God opened by saying, I've given Jericho into your hand. Now here's a quick note. When he said this in the original language, this actual, the tense is actually perfect tense. This is used to indicate completed or perfected statement. Some, in other words, it's as if it had already happened. So what God literally promised Joshua is that the conquering has already been done. It's a guarantee that you will conquer Jericho. So as Joshua tells this to his, to his people, you can hear them go, yeah, grabbing their swords and banging them against shields or whatever, and everyone's like, oh, let's fight. Right, you can hear it, right? You can see it, are you with me? I'm not just, not just me. That's what I would, that's what I would have done. Yeah, God said we win. And then he goes, but here's the strategy. Explains it to him. Only this time, instead of a yeah, they hear crickets. <laughs> Until one general breaks the silence and goes, are you sure God said that? That doesn't sound like a war strategy. I like to imagine this conversation because, the, again, the, the weirdness of what God is asking them to do, the, the, the uniqueness, it's never been seen before or done like this before. It had to catch them off guard. It's highly probable that as they processed this, it felt silly. And although it's funny to imagine, like I just did, this conversation going on, the truth is we have no record of any such conversation. In fact, read with me, continue with me. Let's see how, they res- how Joshua responds. Verse six. I'm sorry. I totally spaced on something. I didn't tell you the point. It's been up here. Have we put that up there yet? Here's the first thing I want to learn. I, went, I gave you all this stuff without ever telling you what it was. When God asks you to do something unexpected, 
When God asks you to do something unexpected, the first thing you do, we saw in verse one through five here, is that you listen carefully. Because initially, it may not make sense to you. Did we see Joshua interrupt God? Did we see Joshua ask questions? No, we don't. We see Joshua listen. Now let's keep reading. Starting in verse six. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let armed men pass before the Ark of the Lord. Stop right there. This leads us to our next point. What do you do when God asks you to do something completely unexpected? Number two, don't think too much about it. Just do it. You do not see Joshua stop. You do not see Joshua ask questions. You do not see him bicker or wonder or say, you got the wrong guy, God. You see Joshua in the next sentence, go and give commands for his people and the priests to do exactly what God told him to do. In fact, Joshua's doing something here that Moses, his mentor, didn't even do. You see, Moses had the situation in Exodus chapter three with a burning bush. We may remember that, right? Where take off your sandals or this is holy ground and God speaks to him through this burning bush and says, I want you to go to Egypt to rescue his people. And did Moses unquestioningly obey God? No, he had all kinds of questions. In fact, he said, you got the wrong guy. They're not gonna believe me. And God actually has to show miracles to Moses for Moses to finally feel comfortable to go and do what God asked him to do. Now we have Joshua just after, in, in chapter five here, just after he has this very similar situation where the captain of the army of the Lord comes and says, remove your feet for you're on holy ground. There's a very similar thing. It reckons back to what happened with Moses in the burning bush. And then he gives Joshua this, this crazy weird command. And what does Joshua do? He obeys unquestioningly. No doubts, no questions, no wonders, no what ifs, no will they. He just does it. He doesn't even seem to think too much about it. Joshua goes. God said so, I'm gonna obey. Ladies and gentlemen, we talk about expectations. God is gonna bring us things in, in our lives. Things are gonna happen. He's gonna call us to do things and we're not gonna know what to do with them. What we see right here is that Joshua listened, number one, very well, and number two, he just obeyed. Simply and quickly. What he did is something that Moses didn't even do. And we can't overlook that, it's significant. How many times in our lives has, has God either does something we don't expect or asks us to do something that we're not expecting? We question him. Some of us, myself included, were guilty of getting angry Joshua just obeys. We can't overlook that. It's powerful. And it is absolutely an example that we should follow. What to do when God asks you to do something completely unexpected? Number two, don't think too much. Just do it. Let's continue. Joshua 6, verses 8 through 11. And Joshua, and just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. 
The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. And then you shall shout. So he, so he caused the Ark of the Covenant to circle the city, going about at once, and they came into camp and spent the night. What to do when God asks you to do something completely unexpected? Number three, don't worry about what other people will say. Not only do we have Joshua here doing something that Moses didn't even do, looking back at how Israel had failed up until this point, but we have the people now doing what the people before them, generation before them, couldn't do. Their response stands in stark contrast to how their mom and dad and grandma and grandpa did it. You see, when God rescued them from Egypt, they grumbled. They were frustrated. Why don't you just send us back? It would have been better that way. They questioned and they disobeyed. But we see none of that here. Only quick and decisive obedience from the people of Israel, God's people. We have to remember that what God is asking them to do seems weird, even crazy. Up to this point in the ancient Near East, what we are watching Israel do as they approach Jericho has never been seen before as we know it. And if that holds true, if that really was the case, imagine being one of the soldiers. What are you thinking as you walk up? You're thinking, well, what if they make fun of us? That's not to be unheard. I mean, imagine the first day, maybe it's not that big of a deal, the first day, right? Because you're walking up, maybe like, oh, you know, they have some, maybe some religious thing. But day two and day three, you can almost hear the ridicule from the people in Jericho. Oh no, here they come. They came to sing their songs and blow their horns again. Woo! I don't know how that didn't happen. Because think about it. You're talking a week, a few days of this. You're starting to think, is, do they really think this is how you conquer cities? You can almost hear someone joke. What are they going to do? March around? The walls are just going to fall? No matter how it felt, Israel obeyed simply and completely. And oftentimes, once again, for us, when things don't make sense, when our expectations are not met, we throw a fit. Do we not? I have illustrations I could share about my own fits. What do we do when God asks us to do something completely unexpected? Don't worry about what other people will say. Don't worry about what other people will say. Take a play out of Israel here. This is the first time really in, the, in generations that we've seen them truly, wonderfully obey without question, without concern for ridicule. Let's continue. Pick it up in verse 15. 
On the seventh day, they rose early at the, da- at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on the, that day that they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh trumpet, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to our Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep for yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. This brings us to our final point, what to do when God asks you to do something completely unexpected. Trust God to show up. Trust God to show up. Clearly the text here wants us to see that Israel's obedience is a large part for the win in this battle. You see, estimates from archaeologists have us believe that these walls were somewhere around four feet thick. And what we see here is God's march and play music military strategy actually come to work. Because they march and they play music seven times that day and everyone shouts and these four feet thick walls just crumbled like nothing. The truth is the walls are never going to be anything to God. God showed up. And despite their expectations, Israel did exactly what God asked and then God followed through with his promise. The faith of the Israelites triumphed over their fear that the enemy might attack them. They also triumphed over any expectation of ridicule and scorn and they learned in the end that God's plan is better than their plans and expectations every time. God showed up. God showed up. You know, there really is one question left. One unanswered question here, and it's this. Why would God ask Israel to capture Jericho in this way? Why not just let them fight? Like they expected, like the enemy expected, why not just let them do it the way that that everyone thought they would? As we look back at this whole event, we see one very honest and specific reality, and that is this, that the city was overthrown by God's power because of Israel's obedience and not by military might. And why is that significant? I think it's significant because I believe that God wanted everyone to know that he was the reason that Jericho fell, and that was his plan all along. God got the glory, not the people. God got the glory. He got the first fruits of conquering Canaan. The gold and the silver was put in his treasury, the first fruits, just like a tithe, we see that. But then he gets the glory. God is the reason this happened. 
And when God is glorified, ladies and gentlemen, everybody wins. In fact, I think that's the big idea to this whole text, this whole message. When God gets the glorified, everyone, when God gets the glory, everyone wins. There is always a blessing when we trust and obey God. I want you to look at that. There is always a blessing when we trust and obey God. Because when he gets the, he gets the glory, and when he gets the glory, everyone wins. There's always blessing when we trust and obey God. That's the whole message. This was crazy. The whole plan was nuts. It's the worst military strategy ever. The march and play music military strategy. Don't use it anywhere else unless God's asking you to. And as crazy and as audacious and as weird and potentially silly as it might have felt, Joshua and Israel, they just obey. And if it's true that there's always blessing when we trust and obey God, then we should be able to see blessing for people in this passage, right? The passage should back this up. Well, it just so happens that it does. So who is blessed in Joshua 6? And this is where it's going to start to come home for us. What does this mean for me? Who is blessed in Joshua 6? Well, the first person we see blessed in Joshua 6 is Joshua, the leader. One of the last verses in this chapter, in fact, the very last one, it says, so the Lord is with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. People now knew the name of Joshua and God because the walls just fell. (laughs) News tends to travel when things like that happen. That's insane. A lot of people have tried to explain why that's happened over the years. Maybe it was an earthquake. You know, I, I can tell you what happened. God showed up. And Joshua was blessed. He accomplished something that Moses couldn't. He led Israel into obedience and into the promised land. And because of this, the people now trust him more and more because they won the battle. Leaders in this room, leaders, are you leading yourself and the people who you follow or to the people who follow you into obedience? Are you? Business leaders, government, teachers, police, fire, you name it. I could go on the rest of my time. Are you leading people who follow you into obedience? Are you being obedient? Parents, your families, Is that how you're leading your kids in obedience? Is that what your kids are learning as they look at you and follow you? I suspect there's lots of leaders in this room and we could take a look at Joshua and we could see that Joshua listened very carefully and he obeyed and the people followed and it worked out pretty well. If you're a leader in this room today, I believe that God has a message to you through through. Joshua chapter six in Jericho. It's simple as this, and here's the challenge. Are you leading in obedience? Are you leading yourself in obedience? Are you leading your people in obedience? Parents, are you leading your children or your grandchildren or whoever or who else, whatever the case may be, are you leading in obedience to God? Perhaps today it's time. Maybe God is calling you leaders to stop worrying about what people may think or whatever else your worries may be, and he's starting to call you 
to implement your faith in your leadership more. Worries be darned. It's time to stop worrying what people may think. Who was blessed in Joshua 6? Joshua was, for sure. So was Israel. The people. The people who followed Joshua. The people wouldn't follow Moses before that. And in Joshua chapter five, we see these these amazing storylines closing with the manna from heaven ceasing that had been falling for Israel for so many years. We see the Passover. We see them enjoying the fruits of the land. We see all this amazing stuff happening and finally, finally Israel is obeying and look what happened when they did. They conquered Jericho. Four foot walls fell like nothing and they conquered the land pretty simply, right? You read the text, it doesn't look like it was that hard for the people. They obeyed. I cannot tell you how many times in my career as a pastor that I've heard something like this. What if God asks me to blank? What if he asks me to do this thing, Mike? I don't know if I could do that. Fill in the blank for yourself. What if God doesn't give me a I've always wanted it. What if following him, he has something different for me? Fill in the blank for yourself. What if God sends me to, it's almost always Africa in the analogy that I get from people. Been there twice, it's not that bad of a place. What if he sends me to blank? Fill in your own blank. So many of us, perhaps even all of us at one point in our lives, live in fear of what God is asking us to do as if it's gonna be something crazy. I have a question for you. How did that attitude work out for Israel? The generations before. I'll tell you how it worked out. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. That's where their plans got them. That's where their, their ideas got them and got them stuck in the desert, wandering for 40 years, eating manna that fell from heaven. They didn't want to obey God. They didn't want to trust God. And do we really like they did? Do we really think that we know better than God? How do we get there, really? How do we get to the place where we genuinely believe that our plans and our ways are better than God's? That somehow our limited knowledge and wisdom, that our plan is better than his? Please don't get me wrong. I've been there. I've got illustrations about times where my plan fell through and I was upset with God because I wanted it my way and then God's plan plays out and I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Wow, I guess I'm glad that your plan was better than mine. I've I've been there. His plan is always better. And the truth is, just like Israel learned, we don't know better than God and we never will. So we can learn from Joshua and Israel today that when God asks us to do something completely unexpected, we listen carefully because we may not understand it at first. And we try not to think too much, we just obey it. And we don't worry about what people will say and in the end we trust God to show up because he will. 
The big idea, there's always blessing when we trust and obey God. Maybe some of you in this room have not been trusting and obeying God with just the one thing you've wanted to hold on to. And I have a question for you. Does it really feel like recently you haven't been in the desert? I wonder why I feel like I'm in the desert. (laughs) What is God calling you to trust him with today? Some of us simply need to let go of our expectations and plans and we need to trust God's plan. And perhaps right now, it's time for you this week to surrender your fear of the unknown and surrender your whole life to God, not most of it. And I suspect that there's some of you in this room tonight who you feel like I'm speaking right at you. That's not me, that's God. I think you should listen. Because it turned out pretty good for Israel. Who's blessed because of Israel's obedience in Joshua 6? We have Joshua, we have Israel, and lastly, we have Rahab. Maybe you're here today And as you look around the room, you wonder if you fit in. Maybe you don't feel very religious. You're not used to going to church. You're not sure how to act. You're not even really sure what you believe. It's not too much different than Rahab in this story. You see, she's a character that shows up. She wasn't Jewish. She wasn't a part of the nation of Israel. She didn't know how to act. She wasn't used to worshiping their God or following their customs. In fact, she was a prostitute. That kind of proves it. She didn't fit in with Israel in any way. In fact, her people were Israel's enemy. But if you pick up Joshua 6, 22 through 25, you hear what happened to Rahab. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out from bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her, and they were all brought and they brought all her relatives and put them outside of the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron that they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. God rescues Rahab from the destruction of her people. And why? Why would he do that? She was not, she wasn't one of the people of God. Why would he do that? Because she heard about God and, she, and all that he'd done and she believed in him. She believed. And maybe you've wondered through, through this message why God was having Israel destroy the Canaanite cities. I mean, we heard that he even destroyed the women and children. Why would God do that? That seems harsh. The truth is, is because of how horrible these people were. They were corrupting and discouraging destructive people in that area of the world. They were known for their religious prostitution and infant sacrifice. And the truth is that God did not want these kinds of people influencing his people. The harsh reality was that it would have been difficult for the pure faith of the Israelites and their worship to be maintained without complete elimination of the Canaanites because they would eventually corrupted them as well. 
God had to get rid of the Canaanites. They were the worst kind of people. Destructive. Sacrificing babies as a part of their religious activities. And when we see that God rescues Rahab and risks all of that, we see that the evidence, the evidence is that God will rescue anyone who believes in his name. And he didn't just rescue her, he used her. You see, she ended up marrying an Israelite man and with him became the great-grandmother of Israel's first king. And if that wasn't cool enough, it was through king, that king, King David, that Jesus was born. You see, Rahab, the non-Israelite prostitute, ends up becoming one of the only handful of women who are named in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. And you're sitting here, you're like, okay, Mike, so what? What does this have to do with me? I'll close with this. It does not matter what you've done, how comfortable you feel in church, who your family is, what they have done, or what your past or any of your family's past is. The only thing that matters is the answer to this question. Are you willing to place your trust in God like Rahab and Joshua and the Israelites did? God will take anyone. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have this great history. You don't even have to be that good at being good. That's not the point. He loves you and wants you. And I believe the reason that you're, the fact that you're here today is evidence of that, hearing this because this is God's heart for you. Through his son, Jesus Christ, God has made a way to rescue you from your past, your sin, your lineage to make you his own. And not just to rescue you, but to use you in his world rescuing story. If you're not, not a believer here today, here's my challenge to you. Perhaps you've been avoiding God. Maybe you've felt his pursuit. Maybe you've never felt his pursuit. Maybe now is the first time you've even considered it. But here's my question for you. Would you give him your heart today? There's always blessing in those who trust and obey God. Would you give him your heart, your life, so that he can work out his perfect plan in your life? one that is immeasurably better than your own and not just to rescue you. That plan is not just about rescuing you, it's about using you to be a part of the narrative where you rescue this broken world. There's always blessing in obedience. Would you give your heart to Jesus today? Leaders, would you trust him? Would you lead people in obedience for the rest of us? Maybe it's time for you to stop worrying about your plans and trust in God's. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this truth in your word. Lord, I pray for everyone who's here today, Lord. What an amazing, amazing passage. 
where we see a God who calls people to obey and trust him even though it's weird and unexpected. And in the end, God, you show up. And there's insane blessing in that. The people are finally getting what you've always promised they could have in this land. And you're glorified in their obedience, God. It's a beautiful story. I pray right now, Lord, that as you are calling us to trust and obey you, God, that we would not walk out this door without a renewed commitment to following and trusting and obeying you and letting go of our own expectations and plans because your way is better. Draw us to you right now, God, whether we've known you for a long time or whether you're calling us right now to know you for the first time. Help us to trust you and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.